Well, it is an honor to be on this platform. I'm humbled by this opportunity, and I'm excited to preach this morning. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at a familiar story where God has called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So Genesis chapter 22, before we get there, I want to read a verse to you from Colossians chapter 1. But you probably need to know just a little bit about me. When I was in middle school and high school, I was pretty much known for one thing. I was known as the guy that loved basketball. I love everything about basketball. I love to watch it. I love to listen to it. I love to play it. I love to coach it. When I walk out my front door, if I hear a basketball bouncing, I'm looking for what direction it's coming from because maybe I can get in the game. I like to hear the ball go through the net. I just, I enjoy it, and it became absolutely dominant in my life. And as a matter of fact, there was, for a few years, it had first place. And I'll just be perfectly honest with you, it was an idol in my life. And the Lord had to take me to a place where he said, look, you can enjoy basketball, but I have to have first place in your life. I would ask you this morning, what has or who has first place in your life? Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, he, now listen, this is Paul writing to the church of Colossia, and he right here is Jesus. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. It does not say he will have first place in some things. It does not say he will have first place in most things. It says he will come to have first place in everything. I would ask you this morning, does Jesus Christ have first place in your life? I think this story of Abraham sets it up beautifully for us to ask some more questions this morning. You know, Abraham and Sarah prayed for a long time to have a son. Abraham desired to have a son. As a matter of fact, in chapter 21, it tells us that when Isaac was born, Abraham was a hundred. That's a lot of praying. I'll be honest with you, if you're like me, sometimes you pray about something in the morning and if the Lord hadn't answered it by noon, you give up on it. Abraham didn't give up. He kept praying and he prayed for a long, long time and God finally answers his prayers, gives him this son Isaac. And now we find ourselves in chapter 22 and let's look and see what God has called Abraham to do with Isaac and let's ask some questions along the way. Genesis chapter 22 verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Abraham said, here I am. First question I would like us to ask this morning is, does the Lord have first place with your schedule? Does the Lord have first place with your schedule? Notice Abraham is completely available to the Lord. I wonder if we could say the same thing of ourselves. When the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, are we willing and waiting and expectant upon him to call us to do something? Or are we so busy in our schedules that when he calls us to share the gospel with somebody, when he calls us to give a couple dollars to somebody, when he calls us to be kind to somebody, when he calls us to encourage somebody, we're so busy we can't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, I wonder how oftentimes the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and we don't even hear him. Notice Abraham says, here I am. Does the Lord have first place with your schedule? My wife is the most disciplined person I know. This past Monday, I woke up, 
at 5 a.m. to get started reading and then start on my schoolwork. At 5, I rolled over. Her side of the bed was empty, so I went to the kitchen to find her. I noticed the light was on in the garage, and when I looked through the window, her van was already gone. And what she had done that morning was woken up. She had prayed. She had read her Bible, and now she was at the gym already. 5 a.m., she's prayed. She's read her Bible. She's at the gym. I felt like I was way behind on the day. But what she knows is if she waits until our four children wake up, none of that stuff's going to happen. She's got to prepare herself spiritually and physically for the day. You see, she's made Jesus a priority in her life. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice it says, making the most of your time. I wonder how often we waste time. I hear people all the time say, you know, I just don't have time to read my Bible. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because all I've heard you talk about thus far is all the TV shows that you've binge watched the last week. Can I say to you, if you can find two or three hours at night to watch your favorite TV show or movie, you certainly have enough time for this. And can I be so bold as to say that if you're doing that and not doing this, that's an idol in your life. I hear people all the time say, I don't have time for this because of my kids and my busy schedule and all this stuff. The reality is, whatever we place in front of our relationship with the Lord is an idol. Does the Lord have first place with your schedule? Notice what he says in verse 2. He said, now this is God speaking to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now this is pretty incredible. Abraham has prayed for almost 100 years for God to give him a son. God gives him a son. And now next chapter, God is asking him to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. I can't fathom that calling. And as a matter of fact, the Lord doesn't ask him. The Lord tells him, hey, by the way, your son, as if Abraham didn't know who he was talking about, he said, your only son. And as if that wasn't enough, he said, you know, the son that you love a whole lot That son, I want you to sacrifice to me. That's a pretty big ask. Second question I would like to ask this morning is, does the Lord have first place with your family? Does the Lord have first place with your family? Is he number one in your life? I see all the time families that their whole world revolves around their spouse or their whole world revolves around their children and then they bring everything else in. I submit to you that our entire world should revolve around the person of Jesus Christ and then we are to bring everything else into that. God has called us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is known as the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now if the Shema stopped right there, that's a pretty tall order. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is every single aspect of your being should be running after the Lord. 
Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Are you running after the Lord with everything you have? That's a tall ask. But the Shema doesn't stop there. Look what it says in verse seven. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He is calling us to love God with everything we have, to get into his word, to develop that relationship, to get intimate with the Lord, to go deep into that relationship. And then when our children wake up, teach our children the things that the Lord has taught us. I would say to you that the job of the church is not to raise your children in the ways of the Lord so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. The Bible says that's your job with your children. The Bible says that's my job with my children. In this church, we are blessed to have, I believe, some of the greatest, if not the greatest, children's pastors and children's directors and next-gen pastors and next-gen directors on our staff and the lay people that lead all of those ministries and they do an incredible job, but their primary responsibility is not to raise your children and disciple them and teach them. That is your primary responsibility. Their primary responsibility is to affirm what you're teaching in the home. Sadly enough, many families rely on the church to do what God has called them to do. As a matter of fact, it says in Psalm 127 verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. The church is not going to shoot out your children. You are going to shoot your children out into the world. Can I ask a question? What kind of arrows are you shooting out? Are they prepared to go to college and sit in a room with a liberal professor that's going to try his or her very best to pull them away from everything they learned growing up? Are they ready? Do they love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength because of what you've invested in them and what you've poured in them? Does the Lord have first place with your family? Look at verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now let's stop right there. I imagine that the Lord told Abraham, maybe like on a Monday, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I'm gonna take you to the mountain. I want you to go. And look what it says. So Abraham rose early in the morning. It appears that the very next day, Abraham wakes up early and he begins this trip to where God has called him. Can I just say to you that we struggle sometimes, at least I struggle sometimes, when the Lord calls me to just give a couple dollars to a person on the side of the road to say, Lord, is this really your will? Do you really want me to do this? And it's a little bit of a struggle. God's asking him to do something really incredible. He's asking him to do something really difficult. And Abraham's response, notice this, is instant obedience. Does the Lord have first place with your obedience? Does he have first place with your obedience? Here at Bellevue, the first part of our mission statement is love God. And there's some measures up underneath that mission statement so that you can ask questions to measure whether or not you're loving God. And one of those questions is, do I obey God instantly? You see, Abraham has an instant obedience. He rises up early in the morning and he goes on to where God had called him. My family and I, two or three years ago, were driving down Germantown Road. 
and we were at the red light right in front of Wolf Chase Galleria. And just so you know, the last three weeks prior to that day, Pastor had been saying from the pulpit, carry a little bit of cash in your pocket. Do you remember that? And when the Holy Spirit tells you to give it to somebody, just give it to them. Now, I was kind of one of those people that was like, well, since I don't know what they're going to buy with it, I'm not going to give them money. They may go out and buy something they're not supposed to buy. Brother Steve says, well, that's disobedience. God told you to give it, you just give it. You don't worry about what they're going to do with it. You just obey God and give it to them. So we're at this red light. There's a guy right beside our van. We're in the far right lane. He's right there, and the guy's holding up a sign. My daughter's sitting in the back seat, and she says, hey, Daddy, remember what Pastor Steve said? You better give him some money. My first thought in my mind is, well, thank you for playing the Holy Spirit in my life. My second thought was, the only cash I have is a $20 bill, and there's no chance that guy's getting $20 for me. And so I began praying this inside, Lord, turn this light green. Lord, turn this light green. Lord, turn this light green. And the light turns green. So my response to my daughter is, I'm sorry, sweetheart. There's a lot of cars behind us. We've got to move on. We get to the next red light. My wife says, I thought we were eating at Abner's. That's the opposite direction. Immediately, I'm thinking in my mind, we've got to turn around and go back by this guy. But it's okay because there's six lanes on Germantown Road. He's going to be on the far left now, and I'm going to be on the far right, and I'm not going to be able to get to him, so I'm going to be able to keep my money. Do you catch a pattern here? There's a little bit of selfishness in my life. It's something I'm working on. And I remember pulling up to that red light, and I don't know if the man was demon-possessed or if the Lord literally picked him up and ran him across Germantown Road. But we get there, and he comes running in front of the van and stands right there, and my daughter, the Holy Spirit, says... Daddy, now you can give him some money. So I reached into my pocket, and I'll tell you what happened in just a minute. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. I pray this every morning over my family. Lord, today I pray myself, Sharin, Camden, Maddie, Josiah and Chloe will not turn to the right or to the left unless we hear your voice say, this is the way, walk in it. I pray every day that we'll be obedient to the Lord. Now, do we always get it right? No. Did we have to have some discipline in our home yesterday for disobedience? Yes, we did. It was me again, but that's okay. I pray that we will obey God instantly. Abraham wakes up early the next morning. And he goes on this trip. Does the Lord have first place with your obedience? Well, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he rises up early, but notice what he does next. He saddles his donkey. Now it tells us in verse 4 that it took him three days to get to the mountain God had called them to go to. So it's three days there, most likely it's three days back, so we've got at least six days, and if Abraham sacrificed on that third day, then it would have been six days. If they took a day for the sacrifice and all that, it may have been seven days, but what I want you to understand is this was not one quick overnight trip. And so what Abraham had to do is he had to prepare for this trip. He had to pack food for six or seven days. He potentially had to pack some money for six or seven days, depending on 
where they were going to be traveling. He had to prepare. He had to get the wood. He had to get his donkey. He had to get two men that worked for him. He gets all of these things together. Can I say this? Oftentimes, when the Lord calls us to do something, it costs us something. And that is why oftentimes we're not willing to do it. Does the Lord have first place with your possessions? Does the Lord have first place with your possessions? Well, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but if it's going to cost me anything, can I just say this? Thank goodness God the Father did not sit up in heaven and say, I want to give them salvation, but if it's going to cost me my son, I'm not willing to do it. You see, we're getting upset over a few dollars here or over giving a jacket to somebody or helping somebody. Jesus said, if they ask for your shirt, give them your jacket too. And we're, we're upset over that. What could cost us just a little bit cost our Lord everything. Does the Lord have first place with your possessions? Well, I'm on the side of the road. It's red light. The demon possessed or, I don't know, Holy Spirit-led guy standing right beside me. He's got a sign. I reach into my pocket. I grab the $20 bill. We roll the window down. We say, God bless you. Hand him the $20 bill. Now, I'll be honest with you. I still don't know to this day if I gave it to him or if he pulled it out of my hand. Because I'll be honest, I still didn't want to give him the $20. Selfishness. Selfishness. None of it's ours anyways. Our money, our possessions, we have what God has allowed us to get. I hear people say all the time, I went to college, I paid for it, I got my job, I work hard, this is my money, I'll do what I want with it. We talk oftentimes about going into debt, how God calls I hear people say, that's, that's my decision. I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to do all of these things. Can I just say this? God has something more than that for you. You don't have the ability to go to school. You don't have the ability to go to work. You don't even have the ability to breathe oxygen unless God allows you. So none of it's yours. None of it's mine. As a matter of fact, when we die, and we will one day, we're not taking any of it with us. So what does it really matter? Abraham wakes up, no big deal for him. Packs all of these possessions up that he needs for the trip and he heads to where God had told him. 1 John 3 verse 17 says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, if you're not willing to give, does the Holy Spirit live, really live inside of you? Because you see, when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, the Bible says old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he calls us to do things. Are we going to be obedient to him? Does the Lord have first place with our possessions? Well, there's something in this verse 3 that's not really there, but I think we need to talk about it just a little bit. It says that in verse 2, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. In verse 3, Abraham wakes up early in the morning. What it doesn't tell us is what happens from the moment God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son to the moment that Abraham sets out on that journey. That may have been 12 hours. That may have been 24 hours. I'm not for sure the time frame in there, but can you imagine the thoughts and emotions that were going on inside of Abraham's mind? You see, the perfect place for the devil to come and tempt you is when you're in an isolated moment, you're wondering why you're going to do what you're going to do, and you're asking yourself, should I really trust the Lord? And the devil comes along and he says, no, don't do it, and he tempts you. 
and you have all these thoughts. I mean, you have good thoughts, you have bad thoughts sometimes. I mean, think about saving for a vacation you've wanted to go on for a really long time. And the night has come before you head out on the vacation. Maybe this is something you and your spouse are going on, or you're taking your kids to Disney World. I don't know, but you have waited for this for a long time. You've saved up the money. The night before, you are excited. You are anticipating the trip, but you can't sleep. Number one, you can't because you're excited. Number two, you're going through all of the things to make sure you've got all your ducks in a row. Do I have somebody to take out the dog? we got to get the stove turned off. We need to set the security alarm. Have we stopped the mail? Do we have all the money we need? Did I pack my toothbrush? All of these thoughts are going through your mind, and what happens sometimes is we get sidetracked. We get sidetracked. I can't imagine what kind of thoughts Abraham was having. Does the Lord have first place with your thoughts? Does he have first place with your thoughts? When you're driving down Germantown Road or Poplar Avenue and someone cuts you off, does the Lord have first place in your thoughts? When you're at work and your boss comes in and tells you to do something that is going to be a difficult project and, oh, by the way, he needs it in 30 minutes, does the Lord have first place in your thoughts? When someone says something that hurts your feelings, Does the Lord have first place in your thoughts? See, that's the battlefield right there, and Satan's coming at it with everything he's got. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things that have Learn, you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think on things above. And notice what happens when you do that. You not only get peace, you get the God of peace. You not only get that peace that passes all understanding, you get the presence of God in your life. Does the Lord have first place? With your thoughts, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See what he says there? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you allowing the Lord to have first place with your thoughts? Well, let's move on to verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. I think this is important. Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. You know, I think of Peter walking on the water. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine him saying, well, Lord, if it's really you, let me walk out to you. And Jesus said, well, come on, big boy. Peter hops out on the water. He's watching Jesus. He's probably a little bit nervous, but he's excited. He's doing something that no man has ever done. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's ever been done since then. He's walking on water. But when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to look at the things around him, he begins to sink. And Jesus has to come to his rescue and pull him up out of the water. You see, when we take our eyes off of where they should be, trouble is coming. Think about King David. 
King David was supposed to be on the battlefield with his men. King David was supposed to be leading them into battle. And where was King David? He was staying the night in his luxurious palace. And he was up on the rooftop when he wasn't supposed to be there. And his eyes were wandering and he saw a woman he wasn't supposed to see because he wasn't supposed to be there. And instead of turning his eyes to the Lord, he kept his eyes on her and we know what happened next. He fell to temptation. You see, God has called us to fix our eyes on him. God has called us to fix our eyes on where he is leading us. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to us. That's okay. There's no better place to be than right in the middle of God's will, taking the next step, even when you don't know what's in front of you. There's no safer place to be. Because that's where God is taking you. Does the Lord have first place with your eyes? Does the Lord have first place with your eyes when you're surfing the internet on your phone at home by yourself? Does the Lord have first place with your eyes when you're selecting a movie to watch? Does the Lord have first place with your eyes when you're watching a TV show? Does the Lord have first place with your eyes when you're out and about and someone's dressed inappropriately? Does the Lord have first place with your eyes? Proverbs chapter four, verse 25 through 27 says, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor the left. Turn your foot from evil. If we would quit looking at all the junk around us and fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, we could walk with peace and joy and comfort. And I love what Psalm 121 says. You've probably memorized this. You've probably quoted it. You've probably prayed it. You've probably read it. And I'm sure you've heard it spoken on. Psalm 121 verses 1 through 3. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. He never sleeps, he's always awake, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Had Abraham kept his eyes on the things around him, he may not have followed through with his obedience, but he lifted up his eyes and he saw where God was calling him to go. Does the Lord have first place with your eyes? We'll look at verse five here, it says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Isn't that amazing? He's getting ready to go sacrifice his son. He says, we're going to worship the Lord. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Does the Lord have first place with your attitude? I can't imagine a better place to have a bad attitude than when you're leading your child to not only die, but you're going to be the one that kills them. I can't imagine a better place to have a bad attitude than when God has called you to do something so horrific but yet so difficult. I can't imagine a better place to have a bad attitude. 
And I submit to you that God has not called us as believers to have bad attitudes. You know, when you have a bad attitude, nobody wants to be around you. It's discouraging. It's depressing. What does pastors say? No one wants to be around somebody that discourages them. They want to be around someone that encourages them, that takes courage and places it inside of someone else. When I was in high school, I told you I loved basketball, and I don't remember. My parents may remember. It was my junior or senior year. I played for a private school in Birmingham, Alabama. We went down to Mobile, Alabama to play a team. They had a big old giant at center, right in the middle. And he had already signed a scholarship to go play at Alabama. This was a big guy. He jumped out of the gym. I think he had 10 dunks in the game we played them. We went down and just watching them in warm-ups, our eyes got real big. And I'll just be perfectly honest with you, we weren't real good. Now, we thought we were, but we weren't great. And we went out that night, and we got beat by 40. I think it was like 90 to 50. Now, that's not the worst part, because we were at least in front of their fans. No one else really saw it. Now, they may read it in the paper, but hopefully they wouldn't. The bad part was, in three weeks, they were coming to our place in Birmingham to play us in front of our fans. I remember thinking on the way home, well, this will be great. Over the next three weeks, we practiced hard, and we prepared for that guy. And we made a game plan, and we were going to stick to it. And I remember driving to the game, And in my mind thinking, well, if we keep our loss to 20 points, that's a big victory. And that's pretty pitiful, isn't it? If we just keep it to 20-point loss, that's, that's a victory. And I remember walking into the locker room, and the guys were thinking, they were saying stuff like, well, you know, how many is this guy gonna have tonight, and blah, 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 blah. And then Coach Flynn walks in, and he said, hey, guys, today's the day. Today's the day we're gonna beat the team from Mobile. We've worked hard, we've practiced hard, we've prepared, and we're ready. Let's go get them. We went out, and that may have been the best game we ever played in our lives. And right with about five seconds left, down two, we called a timeout, we set up a play, we ran it to perfection, the shot goes up at the buzzer, it falls in, we're tied going into overtime. We're ecstatic, place is going crazy. Coach Flynn gets us over there and he said, this is what I need from you. I need four buckets, and I need four defensive stops. If you'll stop them four times, and you'll make four buckets, we're going to win this game by eight points. And we went out, and we were so fired up, we made four stops, we made four buckets, and we won the game by eight. The place went crazy. It was a 48-point turnaround from the game before. Everyone's hooping and hollering and cheering and laughing and all. It was great. We're walking through the hall, going to the locker room, And I was walking by Coach Flynn. I said, hey, Coach Flynn, how did you know we could beat them? He said, Derek, I didn't think we had a shot under the sun to beat them. (laughs) He said, but I knew this. If I walked in that locker room defeated, there was no chance you guys could go out and perform. So I walked in with a good attitude and look at the effect. Does the Lord have first place with your attitude? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Here it is. Whether you're around lost people or you're around saved people, do you have a stinking attitude? 
Or do you have a sweet-smelling attitude? Does your attitude point people to Jesus? When people walk away, do they say, that person loves Jesus? Look at the attitude of Abraham. He's on his way to kill his son. And what does he tell the two men? We're going up the mountain to worship the Lord. Does the Lord have first place with your attitude? Well, look back again at verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Notice the words that came out of his mouth. He had a good attitude. But also his words to his son were encouraging. Abraham is holding all this in and he tells his son, God will provide. Does the Lord have first place with your speech? When you open your mouth and say something, does the Lord have first place? I love what pastor always says, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's coming out of your mouth? Is it encouraging? Is it uplifting? Is it kind? Is it pointing others to the Lord? What did Abraham do? In the midst of the most difficult situation he had ever been in, he pointed the two men that he left behind towards the Lord. We're going up the mountain to worship. He's about to have to slay his son, and he points his son to the Lord, the God of provision. It says the Lord will provide. There was a survey done with collegiate athletes years ago. And one of the questions that was asked is, what is the biggest regret of playing sports while you were growing up? The number one regret from all of these collegiate students was the ride home with mom and dad after the game. And so they began to ask deeper questions. And what they found was when parents get in the car, they talk about the bad decisions the coaches made. They talk about the umpire blew the game. And they turn around to little Johnny and say, you pitched an okay game. You struck out 12 people, but you hit a batter and walked them. Why did you do that? And they didn't want to ride home with mom and dad anymore. Why? Because their speech was not encouraging. Their speech was tearing people down. Can I say to you this? We live in a culture that our media and most social media... And most movies and all that junk that's out there, most of it is not encouraging. It is pulling us down. And if you think for one moment that watching that stuff for entertainment purposes will not affect you, think again. Because what you put inside of you will come out of you. Does the Lord have first place with your speech? Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do all things without grumbling, or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. When you go out and you speak into people that you work with, the guy that works in the cubicle beside you, the lady that works down the hall, does your speech encourage them and point them to Jesus, or does it tear them down? It says, in a crooked and perverse generation, we're to be lights in this world. Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. In other words, you've heard this a million times, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it. And I'll be honest with you. In the days we live in today, I think we need to quit saying that to our children and we need to start saying it to ourselves. 
because our country is so divided. And I think if the believers in the world would rise up and begin to speak the things of the Lord, we could see our world change. James 1.26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. In other words, if you go to church every Sunday and you read your Bible every day and you go out there and you just spout off and say whatever you want, you're not deceiving anybody but yourself. Does the Lord have first place with your speech? Look at verse 9. So they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. (laughs) Can you imagine laying your only son on this altar, tying him down, lifting up your knife to kill your son? That's faith. That's faith, doing what God calls you to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Does the Lord have first place with your faith? Does he have first place with your faith? Or are you a little bit more like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? It calls us to trust in the Lord, but the next part says, with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Are you trusting in the Lord with everything you've got or are you leaning on your own understanding? How often we get in situations and we need advice and the first people we run to are the people around us. And we ask questions and we vent and we look for advice and we want all this stuff and we do not go to the Lord. The Lord is the one that will direct our path. The Lord is the one that knows the way we should go. Does the Lord have first place with your faith? Not only Abraham, the Bible tells us that Abraham's faith was seen by God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Not only him, think about Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel's faith was so great that he was not going to quit praying before his God. Although they told him he'd be thrown in the lion's den, it didn't matter to him because his faith was so great in the Lord. And they threw him in the lion's den. And what does God do? He shuts the mouths of the lion and he delivers Daniel through the lion's den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those boys were told, you have to bow before the king. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Their faith walked them into the fiery furnace and walked them out again. Does the Lord have first place with your faith? Well, let's look at the last three verses here, beginning in verse 11. Now remember, Abraham is right here. And I believe that Abraham had started the downward motion. He was ready to drop the knife. He was right there. And look what verse 11 says. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. 
The last question we would ask here is, does the Lord have first place with your worship? Are you worshiping the Lord? Or have you placed other idols ahead of him? Exodus chapter 20 Verses 1 through 3 says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Some translators right there would say, no other gods besides me. You can't have two gods. Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't straddle the fence. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't do both of those things. You can't walk in the spirit and the flesh at the same time. You've got to choose today whom you will serve. And as Joshua stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have got to drive a stake in the ground and make a choice. But you know what's interesting? We would never call it worship. But there's a lot of things in our lives that we worship. There's a lot of things in our lives that are like idols on the altar of our heart. And if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes they have a higher priority than the Lord. You know how I know? Because there are times in my life where I put other things ahead of this. Well, I had to get up early to go to such and such. Well, get up earlier and spend time with the Father. The Bible tells us in Mark 1.35 that Jesus woke up early before the sun was up. It was still dark outside. He left the house. He departed, and he spent time with the Father. Can I just say, if Jesus needed to spend time with the Father, we probably need to spend time with the Father. Does the Lord have first place with your worship? Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The Bible tells us there will be people that will say, Lord, Lord, and they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, our pastor has said oftentimes that you cannot say the words together, no, Lord. You can't say it. Because if he's Lord, that means master and boss, and you can't say no to a master and boss, or there's serious consequences. You can't say no, Lord. I wonder for a moment how many times God has called you and I to do something and we said, no, Lord. Can we answer the question that he is actually Lord of our lives? Can we answer the question that Jesus has first place in our lives? So how does this apply to us today? What do we do with this? Well, I can tell you for me as I prepared over the past few weeks and asked these 10 questions. That there was two of them that really stuck out, and the other eight, I'm not doing very good in either. But there were two of them that the Lord very clearly said to me, do I really have first place in these areas? Do I really have first place in your life in these areas? You see, some of you sit out there, and you cannot say God has first place in your life. Because you're living your life for yourself. And you're not a Christian. You've never given your life to Jesus. The Bible says you can do that today. As a matter of fact, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I would plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to give your life to Jesus. It's simple. Because he's already done everything for you. 
You have to repent of your sins. Repent means to turn your back on your sins. I don't want that lifestyle anymore. Repent of that. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save you and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's some of you in this room that cannot say Jesus has first place in your life because you've never invited Jesus to be a part of your life. And I would say to you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day for you. Before the music even starts, I pray you will get up, you will walk forward, and you'll give your life to Jesus. There's another group of people in this room that go to church, and they believe they're believers, they're Christians, and they pray, and they read their Bible, and they go to church, but the Lord does not have first place in your life. You're living your life for yourself. You're living your life for your family. You're living your life for retirement. I'm going to build up to retirement. And the Lord doesn't have first place in your life. And you may need to come to that point like I did in high school. Where it was, Lord, no longer does basketball have first place. I'm going to do it. I'm going to enjoy it. But you are going to be Lord of my life. And you may need to walk down and talk to somebody and confess that to the Lord. They don't have to confess it to anybody up here, but you need to confess to the Lord, Lord, you don't have first place in my life. And then there's a third group of people in this room or watching online that are Christians and you're living out this life of obedience. Can I encourage you to finish the race strong? And can I encourage you to look to the left or to the right and grab onto some people that will go forward with you? And can I encourage you to look behind you and look at those that are behind you that are striving for that and help move them along, help disciple them? Can I encourage you to do that? Maybe God is calling you to disciple someone today. Maybe God is calling you to help teach them what God has taught you. I believe with all my heart that God is calling every person in this room to do something. I don't know what it is, but I would encourage you like Abraham to be obedient to the Lord.